I'm going to speak about the purpose of the Holy Spirit and specifically about the Holy Spirit, our helper. Um, there is so much ignorance about the Holy Spirit today, even in the church. And sometimes not just ignorance, but ignorance. Because the Holy Spirit is often ignored and, and almost unknown in, in, in churches. And He's not often given credit for some of the things that, that He does, some of the, the wonderful works. And I'm going to, to focus this morning maybe on some of the, the things that might be obscure for us uh, about the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, the Holy Spirit is sometimes blamed for things that He is not responsible for. And we have counterfeit moves and miracles and fraudulent fake fire. And sometimes the Holy Spirit gets the blame for all of these things. I want to read a quote to you. <laughs> and maybe, maybe the guy was a little bit prejudiced because he's a Baptist. But I want to read these words to you because they really uh, struck a chord in my heart. He said the following. He said, we say we depend on the Holy Spirit. But actually, we are so wired up with our own devices that if the fire does not fall from heaven, we can turn on a switch and produce false fire of our own. If there's no sound of a rushing mighty wind, we have the furnace all set to blow hot air instead. God save us from a synthetic Pentecost. And I tell you what, that's the desire of my heart. I have a real yearning for the genuine move of the Holy Spirit. Not something that has been cranked up. Not something that is the cause of hype or anything like that. And you know what? Uh, I, I, I've seen preachers who are religiously red hot and emotionally eruptive. And they will sometimes pray for people and just cry, fire, fire but there's more hot air than fire. And if we get in the flesh, I was sometimes tempted to use the children's mocking rhyme, rhyme about fire, fire, liar, liar, pants on fire. And I, I, I tell you, what, as I said, there's a sincere desire in my heart to see the real move of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to share some things that I probably shared here before, but I don't mind saying the same things again and again. I remember my mother saying to me, I've told you a hundred times before. <laughs> and it took me more than a hundred times to learn some things. And uh, I always say to Bible school students, <laughs> repetition is the mother of learning. So, um, I'm, I'm so thankful, Adrian, for what you've taught so far. And let me, let me say to the church, please appreciate the gift that God has given you, because there's some excellent teaching that if you missed it, uh, Adrian gave some excellent uh, truths about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, because sometimes people think he's kind of a, just a, a mist or a cloud or a haze or even a phantom or some <laughs> apparition, uh, and the Holy Spirit is a person, and he's, he's a divine person. The Holy Spirit's God. And we need to realize that. And uh, 
I, I want to focus on a scripture where Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit. And it's a very interesting passage where I want to take this out of because in John 13 to John 17, Jesus speaks to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. And very interesting, it's the longest recorded discussion or, or, or uh, uh, communication that, that Jesus had with his disciples. And I know the Bible wasn't written in, in chapters and verses, but John has just over 20 chapters. And very interesting, half of his gospel almost, if you, if you look chapter-wise, half of his gospel focuses on the last 10 days of the life of Jesus on earth. And then half of that, in other words, about 25% of his gospel covers one night in the life of Jesus. Chapters 13 to 17. So obviously those words must be of extreme importance. And if you go and, and, and study those five chapters, you'll find that John tells us how Jesus basically introduced these disciples to the Holy Spirit. Go and see how often he mentions the Holy Spirit or the comforter as it's translated or the helper in, in, in some translations. So let me just read John 14, just two verses where Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit here. And he says the following, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. The King James Version says comforter. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Let me stop there for a moment. How privileged we are to see the Holy Spirit and to know him. And therefore, I think this is such a vital series because you are going to learn more about the Holy Spirit and you're going to know him. And Jesus said, you're in a privileged position because the world cannot know or understand the Holy Spirit. He says, but you know him for he dwells with you, present tense, and will be in you, future tense. And we're living in that future tense right now. So he's not just with us, he's in us. So if you look at, at those two uh, verses, let me just focus on some key words here. And obviously we're speaking about the Holy Spirit as our helper, and that's what Jesus calls him here in, in verse 16. The Greek word here, and I, I usually do not want to bother people with the Greek word, but it's such a beautiful word, parakletos, from para, which means close by or nearby. And then kletos comes from the verb kaleo, which means call. Literally, the word means someone called alongside. And at the time there, think about this. The authors of the New Testament never invented new Greek words when they wrote uh, the New Testament. They used existing words. That word already existed, and it was used to describe an advocate. Somebody who would come alongside you and actually plead your case. Wow. So you'll see that some translations actually would speak about the advocate, the helper, the standby, the strengthener, the, the, literally the one called alongside you to help you or to plead your case. And that is who and what the Holy Spirit is. 
So if you can see that specific role, you'll understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. He's the one called alongside us, in fact, in us. There's another word that I want to focus on here. Listen what, what Jesus says in, in verse 16. He says, I'll pray the Father, and He will give you another helper. And again, there's a very interesting and a very specific Greek word that is used here. When uh, Jesus speaks about another, it actually means another in succession, not a different one. Because another could mean something else that is different. It actually means another one of exactly the same kind and quality. I love that. Because Jesus says, listen, when I'm gone, don't think that you have an inferior kind of second-rate relationship uh, with the Holy Spirit because He is as much God as I am. The Holy Spirit is divine. So He says, another one of the same kind, exactly like me. That's the Holy Spirit. That is uh, 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 the Spirit that will, will come and, and, and live inside of you because there's a, a totally different Greek word that says another one, but one that is different. One last word that I want to focus on in verse 17, he speaks about the spirit of truth that we will know, and at the end of the verse he says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That word dwells actually means to take up permanent resonance. I grew up with a notion, and obviously this is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit, a, a dove, but I grew up with a notion that the Holy Spirit is a dove, and a dove is easily scared away. And quite often, and this was taught in the church, that if you don't do something wrong, the Holy Spirit leaves. <laughs> I have news for you. He's not scared. He is a dove. He is gentle, but he's not scared. We must not think that the Holy Spirit leaves when I fail. Jesus said, and I'm saying this with great respect, His mandate, His job description is to abide in you, to take a permanent residence in you. And don't think that you've lost the Holy Spirit. When David prays in the Old Testament and he, and he says it sincerely, God, do not take your spirit away from me. It's a different situation in the New Testament because as I said to you, Jesus said, he dwells with you, present tense, but will be in you, future tense, and that's the era that we're living in. So the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in your heart. And the prayer of David doesn't apply to us. God will not take his spirit away from us. Oh, my word. Almost lost my whole sermon here. So, uh, so he stays permanently. He remains with you. He abides with you forever. And, and incidentally, uh, uh, one of the things that, that I will not get to, so let me say it now. The Holy Spirit is the one, Jesus says, who will guide you into all truth. You need to realize that the guide is here. Sometimes we always look for an external sign or a word. If you want to be guided in a very sure way, you need to look in your heart.
That's where he lives. Let me put it this way. You have a guide that will reside and abide inside. <laughs> Amen. So that's where he lives, and that's where he will, he will uh, uh, guide you. So, so those, those three words will tell us more about the Holy Spirit. Um, why does Jesus call him the helper? Because Jesus knew we all need help. <laughs> That's why he's the helper. And, and, and sometimes people might think, I don't need anyone, I'm independent. I can assure you that you are utterly and absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit, your helper. There's a verse that is quite often quoted, and people don't even know who said it. Uh, it's, it's in the book of Zechariah, and uh, you better read Zechariah because he's going to ask you one day when you're in heaven, did you read my book? But they quote this scripture in Zechariah 4 and verse 6, and it said, says these words, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I wish I could give you the background, but we don't have the time. Please go and read the background uh, to those words in, in Zechariah 4, because it's a vision that God gave Zechariah about the oil uh, being a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And then he says these words. Now, I, I want to read it to you as a Hebrew person would read it, because the word might and the word power are important words. Here's how it should read um, in, in, in the original language. Not by might, military might, or corporate clout, nor by power, personal power, or individual intellect. Wow. That gives a blow to our ego. So not by military might, nor by personal power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And host is kind of an archaic English word. It doesn't mean that you... You invited guests to your house, and you're the host. The Lord of hosts actually means the Lord of the heavenly armies. So it just indicates God's power available to us through the Holy Spirit, and that is the help that we, we need to rely on. So it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to do, I want to give you a number of reasons why we need this holy helper. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to even try, I'm not going to attempt to mention every one of, of the areas where the Holy Spirit helps us. I, I just do not have the time available for it. So I'm just going to, to cover a few, and we'll see how, how far we get. Um, I, I, I always like to use uh, either rhyme or alliteration because it's an aid to the memory, and mainly my memory. But if you... <laughs> If you can just remember the key words here uh, indicating the areas where the Holy Spirit would help us. I'm going to give you verbs that start with a, with a letter P, which will indicate the work of the Spirit in, in our lives. And here's the first and the foremost thing, and I, I'm not even sure whether we'll get beyond this, but let's try. The first key word is the word profess. We cannot profess Christ to begin with. 
without the help of the Holy Spirit. Interesting, the scripture that uh, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, and he says it plainly. He says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, you can say those words. Easy to say, Jesus is Lord. But to actually mean it and to realize what it's about, you need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So your Christian life could not start even. This is the very beginning, confessing Jesus is Lord. You cannot even do that without the, the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the reasoning behind the statement in, in God's Word? I, I want to have a look at how the Holy Spirit actually brought us to the point of professing or confessing Jesus as Lord. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be very honest because as a teacher, I always want to back up what I say with the Word of God. I, for some of these things, I don't have Scripture. But at least what I'm going, to, <laughs> what I'm going to, to prove to you is that these are all divine actions. This is God at work. It doesn't specifically identify the Holy Spirit, maybe, as the one performing these divine actions. But here's what I believe. If it is God doing these things today, we are living, if I can put it this way, in the era of the Spirit. That's what Jesus was telling them in, in those five chapters of, of John's gospel. And, and right now, and I'm saying this again with great respect, and I realize the Holy Spirit is God, but let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit right now is God's agent. If God is going to do anything on this earth today, He's doing it through the Holy Spirit. Because He is in you, and He works through you. So, how then did the Holy Spirit bring you to this point of, of professing Christ? I don't know if we often think about this, but did you know that the Holy Spirit was actually at work in your life long before you were even aware of God? That He was there long before you made a decision for Christ. And here's what he did. Not only did he protect you so that in due course you could actually get saved, but he preserved you in a state of, and I'll have to make up a word because it's not in the dictionary, he preserved you in a state of savability. Here's what the devil's ultimate purpose was for your life. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, we know that. And he wanted to push humankind beyond the limit of savability. If he could do that, then he would have been successful. But he could not do that. So the Holy Spirit actually maintained the potential in you to be saved. He was working in you before you got saved. Now, Jesus often used metaphors, and in the metaphor of, of harvest, where he's speaking about people, he said two things about the harvest, and you can go and look it up 
in, in, in John's gospel in, in the fourth chapter and also in Luke's gospel, he, he speaks about that in Luke 10. But Jesus said two things about the harvest, and we're talking about people. He says the harvest is ripe. He says the fields are white or ripe unto harvest because that's the color they turned when, when it actually became ripe. The fields are ripe, and he says the harvest is plentiful. Wow. <laughs> if you understand what Jesus said there, it will change your perspective on evangelism. You see, because sometimes we think evangelism is me trying to convince and persuade someone to accept Jesus. It's not. God just uses you as the instrument. The harvest is already ripe. It's a matter of laborers. That's what Jesus said. Pray the Lord of the house for laborers to be... Can I just help you with some unscriptural prayers that we pray sometimes? I hear people pray and say, God, please save so-and-so. It's not God that has to save them. God has done everything he needed to to save them already. Jesus paid the price. It's not that. Here's what you should pray. Rather than God, please save them. God, please send a laborer. Because the harvest is already ripe. And it's plentiful. Wow. So I need to pray, God, send a laborer. And maybe you should add this. And can I be the laborer? <laughs> He's the Lord of the harvest. But here's, here's what I thought about. It's not clear in, in, in that statement whether Jesus is the Lord of the harvest or maybe God the Father because Jesus calls him. He says, I'm the vine. My father's the, the, the husbandman. So maybe God the Father is the Lord of the harvest. But I asked myself, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the situation here? Here's what I believe, that the Holy Spirit is the one who actually makes the harvest ripe. And there are other scriptures that I think will, will confirm this. Every unbeliever is part of the potential harvest. That's how you need to look at people. And, and all you need to ask, if you go and speak to somebody about Jesus, all that you need to ask is, is, Lord, you do the work. Because it's not my wisdom. It's not how clever and cute I am that's going to help them. It's actually the, the work of, of the Holy Spirit. So um, the Holy Spirit's preservation in someone's life is absolutely sovereign. I want to go on, and we're still talking about the first part of how did the Holy Spirit get you to this point of professing Christ. Here's something else that the Holy Spirit did in your life. He made you aware of your need of a Savior. You know, I stopped long ago preaching about sin. And trying to convince people that they're sinners. I thought that was my job. I needed to tell them how bad they were. I realized that I'm trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not for me to tell people how bad they are and how sinful they are. It's for me to tell them how they can actually be changed. Because here's what the scripture says, and again, I want to quote the words of Jesus out of those five chapters. This time, John 16 
and from verse 8, and you'll see how the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin and the necessity to be saved. John 16 and verse 8, I'm reading from the Living Bible, paraphrase, Jesus says, when He, this helper, the Holy Spirit, when He has come, He will convince the world of its sin, of the availability of God's goodness, hallelujah, and of deliverance from judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. There is righteousness available because I go to the Father and you shall see me no more. There's deliverance from judgment because the prince of this world has already been judged. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict, to convince. So that's what he did in your life. He actually made you aware of your sin and your need of uh, a Savior. It's, it's very interesting, and I wish we had time to, to get into this, uh, but if you read in, in Genesis 6 about um, Noah, in Noah's time, it was the Holy Spirit at work. He strived, is that the right word? He strove, he had striven, <laughs> he strove, what? Okay, you, you get the point. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit who actually uh, convicted <laughs> the people. In Noah's time, and he persuaded them, go and read it, of the wrongfulness of their wicked ways. And that's what he's still doing today. He's striving, he's contending, and he's pleading with people. I'm just thinking of something maybe I could throw it in at no extra cost. It's very interesting that people uh, in, in that chapter take something and they, and they say something that the Bible doesn't say. Because they see, it says there, 120 years, the Holy Spirit was striving with them. And then people say, you see, your lifespan is 120 years. It's not talking about that. Go and read it in its context. And actually, God gave them a long time to repent, 120 years before judgment came. That's what it's about. Don't read it in its context. So the Holy Spirit was all the time striving with them and trying to convict them uh, uh, that they would, would turn to God. And that is what He's still doing today. And incidentally, what Jesus said in John 16, the Spirit convicts the world of this sin, the sin of rejecting God's gift of salvation. And Jesus Christ, the Savior, is that gift. Here's another thing that the Holy Spirit does leading up to your profession in Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who actually makes you aware of um, God. Let me read the words of Jesus again from John 15. In John 15 and verse 26 in the New Living Translation, Jesus says, I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, he will come to you from the Father, and He will testify all about me. Wow. So the Holy Spirit is the one who actually gives evidence about Jesus. 
And he's the one who makes you aware of Jesus. But I do believe uh, the Holy Spirit creates a consciousness of God. Now, in the scripture that I want to read to you, and it's not on, on the screen, it says the following in Romans 1 verse 19. It says, what may be known of God is manifest in them. And here, in the context, Paul is talking about all people, even heathens without the law. And, and just incidentally, I think atheists sometimes flatter themselves. they just plain hard-headed heathens. And the Holy Spirit is, is at work in them, and He's making them aware what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit that creates this awareness and gives you the knowledge of God, of His existence, and of, of your, your, your need uh, to Him. And, and here's something else that the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't only produce an awareness of God, but He creates a hunger after God. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless my Father draws him. And how does the, the Father draw people on the earth today? Through the Holy Spirit. So as an unbeliever, you may remember having a longing for someone that you didn't know. <laughs> because you had that emptiness inside of you. That void in, inside of you. And, and maybe you thought that you were just being romantic at the moment, but it was probably the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And <clears throat> I want to read the words of, of Augustine, a fifth century theologian of North Africa, Noho. And here's what he said to God and about God. He said, you have created us for yourself, and our heart is restless and cannot be stilled until it finds rest in you. Beautiful words and true words. Let me say this. Every person's heart is restless. And who creates that restlessness in us? And, and incidentally, his words have been popularized in, in people saying, God created a God-shaped vacuum in you. And that is true. Because there's a void inside of you. There's a hunger. There's an emptiness. No one, nothing, can fill that void except God. And people try all kinds of things uh, to, to try and fill that void. They try drugs, uh, illicit sex. They try all kinds of things to fill that void in their heart. Unless you get God in your heart, the restlessness will remain there. And the Holy Spirit creates that restlessness until you find uh, your rest in, in God. And then, as I said, then the Holy Spirit... Uh, uh, drew you to God the Father uh, because Jesus said those words. So let me, let me sum up the rest of, of the Holy Spirit's work involving your salvation. And here's again something that I don't have scripture for pointing specifically to the Holy Spirit, but I want to say this. You could not even repent without the help of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think our repentance brought on salvation. No, I have news for you. <laughs> it's not how well you repented. 
forgiveness, cleansing of sins, those things were available before you repented. Now, it, is, it was part of the process, but there are a number of scriptures um, where it actually speaks about the fact, and repentance means to turn around. And there's one specific scripture that I'm thinking of now. It's, it's in the book of Lamentations, and there are good things that can come out of Lamentations. And it actually is Jeremiah's prayer recorded there, and it, it, it says this, Turn us to yourself, O Lord, and we shall be turned. It's God that turned you so that you could turn. <laughs> wow. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So let me try and sum up the, the rest of the Holy Spirit's work involved with your salvation. Uh, he's the one who applied the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus in your life. These scriptures are not on the screen, but I'll read them to, to you quickly. And if you want to go and look them up at home, 1 Peter 1 verse 2 uh, in the Living Bible says, God the Father chose you long ago and knew that you would become His children. And the Holy Spirit has been at work in your hearts, cleansing you with the blood of Jesus Christ and making you to please Him. Wow. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 from the NIV He's speaking about brothers loved by the Lord. From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. 1 Corinthians 6.11 from the ESV. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Then the Holy Spirit is, as I said before, uh, He's the one that actually uh, executed the, the new birth in you. In John 3, verses 5 and 6, it says the following, and I want to quote the words of Jesus again. He said, The truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So, here's what he's saying. You need to be born of water and of the Spirit. So, clearly the Holy Spirit is the one that gives you the new birth. And there are several other scriptures that I could uh, quote here. In Titus, Paul speaks about the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. In uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, or, or in, in Ezekiel rather, he speaks about a new heart and a new spirit that God will give uh, in us. In, in Hebrews, he speaks about the law being written on our heart. Now, here's an important one, and my time is up, so I'm just going to give you the scripture references. The Holy Spirit actually baptized you into the body of Christ. Maybe at some time we can speak about the three baptisms that are essential in your life. There are actually three baptisms that you need. First one is when the Holy Spirit is the baptizer. And the element is the body of Christ. He baptizes the repentant sinner into the body of Christ. And that's how you became part of the body of Christ. And you can go and read, read it in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And then obviously there's water baptism, where the church baptizes you in water, which is a symbol of the, the cleansing power of God. And thirdly, Jesus becomes the baptizer when He baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. And you're overwhelmed by the Spirit. Okay. Then 
He's the one, the Holy Spirit's the one who actually grafted you into the vine in John 15. Go and read the story about Jesus saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And it's the Holy Spirit that actually grafted us into the vine. Romans 8, 16, it's the Holy Spirit who witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God. An important work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 uh, and, and some other scriptures. Once you have believed, the Holy Spirit is God's seal on you to show that you belong to God. You know, when something is sealed, the first thing it means, it's complete. God did the work in you. The second thing is, don't touch it unless you have authority to open it. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is God's seal on you to say, the work's been done, it's completed, and it's God's stamp of authority, and no one can open it. Amen. So the Holy Spirit is that seal upon your life. And then, um, well, let me conclude by just saying, it's the Holy Spirit who enables you through all these different actions in your life, who enables you to profess that you are a child of God and to profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I thought we'll at least get to purifying, progressing, producing, perceiving, uh, proclaiming, preaching, uh, <laughs> all of those, those things I have about another 15 things to mention here, but I only got to number one. But please listen to me. Go and thank God and appreciate the kind of hidden works of the Holy Spirit in your life that you didn't even think about, that you didn't even know about, and thank God that the Holy Spirit actually fulfilled His job description in your life by getting you to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen.